Yeah, hello, and welcome to episode 84 of Friends of the Show. I am Stephen W. Skinner, and this is my podcast where I speak with the coolest of the internet. This week's friend is the co-host of a wildly stupid and popular podcast called The Worst Idea of All Time. But before that, he was a traveling comedian who passed through Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and ran into a young me. I happily made his acquaintance, and years later, we reconnect on this podcast. I'm talking, of course, about Guy Halifax Montgomery, New Zealander and charming lad. I had a great time reconnecting with Guy, and I hope you'll have a great time listening to us reconnecting on Friends of the Show episode 84 with Guy Montgomery. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Guy. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. I'm really excited uh, to be talking to you. Uh, likewise, I'm just um, sending a quick email. I hope that's no, it's oh. good. I love it. I love business happening in real time. Audio. Yeah. This is yeah, real yeah. life. The listeners love it. It's a little sneak behind the curtains. Uh, now we know what your keyboard uh, taps sound like. That's right. I want to own. <laughs> you don't have to try to talk while you're writing the email. That's why I was I'm, talking. I'm, because I'm verbal. Yeah, but you think you're just talking over me? <laughs> oh, right. That's equally as bad. Maybe I should just we'll just let you finish the email. We'll just sit I'm doing, quietly. I'm doing something practical, which is outlining what I want to say in the email. Right. So just make those notes, and I'll just work here. I'll just make some. I'll make some notes on this pen of paper. <laughs> Can you hear me writing? Yeah, big time. <laughs> oh, the pen. Pen ran out of ink. Um, fucking pins, man. You can't trust them. Pins? Pens. Oh, pens. Yeah, yeah. This is an Air Canada pen, and yeah, it just died. Yeah, you can't trust pens. Uh, I don't hear typing. Yeah, that's right. I sent an email. And then I sent it, and then I didn't even tell you about this, but secretly I then sent a text to the person I emailed, <laughs> so I've just sent you an email. Oh, sick. Double. Yeah. That's like instant notification, right? It's like a yeah, like, you know, two-factor. Emails turned off, but they get their texts. Yes, it's perfect. It's um, like so guy. Should I, start, should I start recording this? Uh, you don't have to. I can handle it. You sound fine. Um, no, but I'm going to send you my audio. Oh, okay. Yeah, a double ender in the in the biz, right? Well, yeah, because this this will sound like my Skype audio will sound bad, but if I see, I'm recording this into a on a sure SM58 into a Tascam. Oof. And if I, send, if I send you that and you stitch it up, I'm assuming you're using a microphone on your end. I'm using a sure SM57, so not quite. It's yeah. one below, right? Uh, keep going. I'm a 300 <laughs> podcast. Sure, I sent the SM58. I've started my audio recording now, so you know. Okay, great. So now how do I sync it up? What do I have to do? I, I would, what I, we would could do is a countdown from six. And so you'd start with six, then I'd say five, then you'd say four, then I'd say three, then you'd say two, then I'd say one. Oh, cool. Do we do that now? Yeah, if you like. I mean, it's your podcast. Well, yeah. I've never, I've never done the double ender. I have asked people to record and I tried to do it, but I couldn't, I didn't do a countdown. <laughs> I really fucked, okay. I did, I fucked it up with no countdown. So now we're going to do the countdown where we do every alternating number, right? Yeah. Okay, let me try this. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Podcast. Nice. <laughs> Is that what you say? Do you, do you say That's what I do, yeah. I yeah. Know other people did that as well. Podcast. That's great. Thank you so much for doing that. This uh this might be the best audio it might be the best audio of uh, all the podcast episodes that I've done. Fantastic! I'm looking forward to this. Do you? Do you? I haven't listened to it. I'm sorry, I didn't get time. I usually try to listen to the podcast before I appear on it. But no, I'm glad. Do, you, do I need to know anything about it? 
No, no, this is the new, this is version 2.0, guys. So, yeah, we had the old podcast back in uh, 2016, I think. Uh, it ran for, I don't know, 80 or, uh, or not 80, but 70 episodes, 50 to 70 episodes. And um, it was, yeah, that we had tweets. It was very, fo- it was formulaic. We followed a certain pattern. We talked about the person. Then we got into their tweets, some, and then we did tweets that they enjoyed. And then we wrapped it up by uh, questions from Twitter. So, people on twitter send in questions and uh and that's what that's what we did it was a whole format followed that that every single time and it was a lot of work (laughs) it was a lot more work than this modern format which is just show up and go up (laughs) make a few bullet points hopefully uh the conversation doesn't stall on your dumb bullet points if you ask the wrong question but hopefully it should be fine yeah i think it should be fine because i mean we got a lot i've got a lot of stuff to talk about uh, to you about because we've met in person this is one of the the rare uh twitter uh, connections that i've also looked at in the eye in uh, in yeah. real life which is strange because of how seemingly far away you are <laughs> well i am now right currently I, there, were, there were times when we were um in the same room yes very close proximity even i was on a chair and you were on a couch like right beside. Yeah. That happened. There's no denying it. Can you? Is, can I ask first of all? Yes. Is this in the podcast? This conversation? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Should I? Uh, should we start back? I. I think we'll I have to start I, at this. Some podcasts at... just like you know they say that. I don't know. Some people they say okay, and we start the podcast now, and then in some podcasts it's just people talking, and then yeah. you know it's like a sneak attack, and they're like, oh. <laughs> God damn! I thought we were just having a conversation. Yeah, I, see, because I used to do it. I used to do it the other way, where I did a real intro, like this week's friend is Guy Montgomery, a hilarious comedian from New Zealand, whose credits include his hilarious podcast, uh, the worst idea of all time, among other great credits, uh, something like that. And I'd be like, "Welcome to the podcast, Guy." Yeah, but I see you've embraced modernity to the point that. Yeah, we're we're doing like even now when I ask, I couldn't get a straight answer. Even then, you just you just told me how you used to do it without articulating what you do now. Now I just press record, and from the from the jump is when we go. Okay. So it's so, probably even so gonna have the it's gonna have the pre I... six second countdown stuff too. <laughs> okay, so we're podcasting right now. Yeah, I'm gonna oh, leave the shit. I'm gonna leave the email shit in. I'm gonna leave the yeah, texting yeah. your buddy in. <laughs> Crazy. Um, okay. Well, it's it's good to know. Real anti-professional. Is that what you're trying to get? <laughs> no, no. I like it. I, I, it doesn't actually impact how how we behave. But um, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to know because I, I see we've been in a room together, and you were even more specific. You said that you were on a chair, and I was. I have couch. a vivid, I have a vivid memory of. Um, I want to know more about this. It was at Comedy Bar. I have a vivid memory. We we're at Comedy Bar. I don't remember who who else. I know there was a couple other people. Maybe Jordan Foise <laughs> was there, uh, and uh, it was we're sitting in. Uh, now they've completely re- renovated this area that uh, we were sitting in. Uh, now there's like um, a long, thin table and those like stools, like fixed stools. Yeah, yeah I, 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 we've got that format for seating in New Zealand as well. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. So they, but before in the older in the old comedy bar outside the cabaret space, there was like a couch. There was like a little couch seating area underneath the, the TV. That's where we were sitting. I was in the head chair, and you were at, on the couch. And there's a couple other comedians hanging out. That's uh, that's the that's the picture in my mind that I have. Uh, and were we, what were we doing? Were we shooting the shit? Yeah, we were so. shooting the shit. I was quite enthralled with uh, you know your your world traveler uh, demeanor and your your tall confidence, etc. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, this guy is clearly a guy to know, like a really cool, fun guy. I was. I found my skill was like picking out who the good, <laughs> funny people were back then, so I could you know hang around in the scene but, and be yeah, like, yeah. I know I, who the I, good guys I are. Had to develop and use that skill when I went to New York, and right. you are correct in that all of my confidence derives from my height, <laughs> and all of my demeanor uh, derives from being a world traveler, as you say. Right. Well, that definitely gives you some cachet. Right, you can't mm. deny that. Um, I mean, your accent is undeniable, yes. right? 
Straight well, off the bat. Only, only um, outside of New Zealand is it undeniable. <laughs> Correct. Zealand, right, yes. People don't even think of it as an accent at all. Right, but we're talking about world traveler guy. So when did yeah, that... Yeah. So let's bring it back. This is the Mark Maron part. Who, where are you from? Who are your guys? Um, so <laughs> so where are you from? Who are your guys? So w- let's take it back to the beginning. Growing up in New Zealand. Yes. Mountains. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. We've got them. We've got mountains. We've got coastline. We have um, cities, towns, rivers, streams. We've got it all. Yeah, that's very diverse. A very diverse geography. That's right. And I, I grew up in Christchurch, New Zealand, which is. Um, did you watch the Nickelodeon cartoon show Rocket Power? No. Neither. Uh, I don't think. Well, it was Nickelodeon was not a Canadian channel. It's also. I mean, it's not a New Zealand channel either, Stephen. But that's we found true. a way. <laughs> yeah. Well, was it picked up on NZ One or whatever? No, no, we we were. I was lucky enough to have cable. Oh, as, nice! As a as a boy, that's pretty sweet. But I, they, uh, I remember that in this show, the children lived in a town. They were all into extreme sports, adventure sports, and they lived in a town that meant that they could surf in the morning and go snowboarding in the afternoon. And I thought that's oh, crazy. That's cool. I know. I, but then I, I realized technically in Christchurch that option is also available to you. You'd have to be very committed, and I, I was not, and right. I, I can't. Uh, really surf nor snowboard I, I can ski um but i grew up in christchurch where i was funny uh but at what age know, <laughs> forever immediate, immediately from memory where did you get uh, where did you get it from do you know uh in retrospect have you thought about it was like oh yeah my dad was funny or like my my, I, my dad is funny yeah he was funny and he was i mean funny. yeah like I he was growing I up funny, but... he was funny until i was like in the middle of my teenage years <laughs> i'd spent a lot of the time thinking he was kind of scary yeah uh but then i i realized he'd been joking the whole time <laughs> and like you know just a dry to amuse himself. That's funny. And there, was a, there was a sort of a, t- a worm turning point where I was like, oh, this guy's just kidding around. <laughs> uh, and my mum is that funny in a different way. Mum's like, you know, mum's bigger. Okay. Uh, her comedy. Like <laughs> silly? More bored. Yeah, like silly and just sort of, uh, dad's more like sly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's, he's more wordy. And I, I like the thing I've taken from both of them. But yeah, I mean, that's a great combo. Yeah, I don't really know. I, I don't like. I don't know. I don't know where it came from. I just like remember all I really wanted was to be funny. And like I remember in early conversations. Well, I don't remember the conversations. I remember like in my head when I'd get a laugh or like filing away a yes. big laugh mm-hmm. and like revisiting the feeling of making people laugh and taking a lot of pleasure in that and yes. like sitting in it for long. I mean, I didn't really think about what was normal relative to other kids, but like, I still have memories now of feeling proud of myself for getting laughs. So like, yes. you know, when I'd go to sleep at night, I would often, in my memory, what I'd be rehashing before I fell asleep were like the funniest moments of the day. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And that definitely will reinforce trying to seek out that behavior that get that serotonin, uh, yeah. dopamine release yeah. or whatever. Yeah, really. Absolutely. You know. Yeah, that's great. So you were uh, you were funny getting laughs. Do you remember any specific like big laughs that you got that was like, okay, <laughs> uh, that was it. Not like. Do you remember like not, making a friend laugh? Like I have a memory of making uh, like a my friend and like this summer nanny who would like watch us during the summer, uh, like laugh so much that the spaghettios came out of their nose. Oh, yeah, I um. I have, I have memories of that sort of experience. I don't remember what I did. Like, I remember yeah, yeah. dinner. Just remember the reaction. We eat, we eat dinner as a family. And I'd always, I'm, I'm a middle child between two sisters. And every meal, my goal was always to make my little sister laugh so hard she had to get up from the table and go and, like, sort of semi regurgitate <laughs> a, a mouthful yeah. into the sink because <laughs> I'd practice so hard. Uh-huh. And I like, we, we, mum and dad loved having, um, you know, we had a rolling, a revolving door of like they. All, we always had people coming over for dinner or whatever. Nice. And I'd always like for salons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd always try and um, 
I, I, it was showing off, but like if it was called showing off to me at the time, that would be incredibly deflating. Like there's no nothing, there's no more demeaning feeling than being accused of showing off when you're in the middle of showing off. <laughs> yeah, as a boy, as a kid. Yeah, but like I remember, I had one vivid recollection of I was I would have been in um high school, and my sister and my dad were really into um their horse people. You know, I, I didn't know that a horse girl was a phenomenon until I was online in the <laughs> yeah. last, like, five years. Definitely. But my oldest sister was a horse girl. Okay. And uh, they'd have, like, their horse friends for dinner. Sometimes we'd have people over for dinner who I thought were interesting, and then sometimes we'd have horse people, and they'd just <laughs> talk about horses. Yeah. And the whole meal, and I'd be, like, furious, because I'd be like, this is so, like, there's no entry point for me here. This is so <laughs> boring and selfish. And yeah. once we had some horse people over and I was about 14 or 15 and I was like, I don't know these people and these people don't me, don't know me. And I, I'm going to pretend to be um, an exchange student from South Africa. <laughs> okay. And so for this whole like family dinner we were having, I was doing, you know, this, I had a South African maths teacher at the time and we used to ape his accent at yeah. school. Uh, and I just started doing the accent and saying I was like on exchange from Cape Town and the people were sort of wrong footed, they were a bit confused and mum kept being like, No, no, he's not. That's some <laughs> guy. But I just wouldn't break for the whole meal. I kept Commit saying, Why are you, to the why are you doing this? You know, I can't believe you'd lie about it. And then um it kept going to the point that like and this is another sort of aspirational response I wanted, uh, is like when my a parent like my mum got so angry. She was so angry with me, but also she was she couldn't stop laughing <laughs> in spite of herself. So she couldn't actually like captured just the anger yeah and she um she chased me like she sort of got up eventually and chased me around the table with these guests there <laughs> she picked up like the knife sharpener and was chasing me around the kitchen with the <laughs> knife sharpener and strike me through everything and then i ran away and like, locked myself in my room um and i remember like i remember that that was a big like yeah i was getting big that night that was a turning point for sure committing to the bit is an important lesson yeah. I think that you learned was important. Yeah, I think commit. I think like co committing to the bit is one of the most um, powerful tools. It takes such uh, like self confidence. Yeah, that yeah, because that's what it is. As soon as you're committed, it can bomb, but it sort of you know you're you're impervious to the bomb. It doesn't matter so much because you're. Um, you're doing you're it. In it. Yeah, you're doing it. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You committed. You don't yeah. give up. Don't wink to the audience. That's right. Yeah, that's great. So growing up in New Zealand, super funny. And then when did you say, Mom, Dad, I'm going to go be a world traveler? Uh, I never said that. <laughs> I still thought it. Oh, wait. I had a, uh, so what's the key to a South African accent before we move past South African accents? I can't actually do that. It's, you know, the key is to be young enough to believe that you're doing a good <laughs> job. As it is in so, with so much in life. Yeah. Uh, just fake it till you make it is what we're saying. Yeah. I, I don't know. You sort of just <laughs> change your voice. Like it's nothing. It's a like lot of people do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like. Um, it's like stilted kind of uh, well, yeah, cadence. It, it, like a stilted cadence. And that's uh, South African. Yeah. I'm alienating your diehard uh, South African listeners. Uh, our Cape Town crew is rock yeah, solid. Yeah. They know we're just joking around. Checking me on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but so I I was like, I was um, school. My friends and I, all we wanted to do was be funny. And we were neither popular nor unpopular. We were mostly just amusing ourselves and each other. Um, and then left school and sort of, I went to a... Um, like a quite a proper school, like a, an Anglican uniformed all boys school. Okay, some like serious uh, school stuff. Yeah, which sort of meant that you you uh, uh, you know like um, it's Christchurch is one of its points of pride traditionally is that it's the because we got colonized here in New Zealand and Christchurch's great point of pride is they got uh, colonized hard the hardest. Oh yeah. no. <laughs> It's the most British. Right, yeah. They're sort of working through what this means at the moment in real time. But basically, it meant that the school was modeled on, like, um, British public schools. Yeah. Which are, like, in Britain, a public school was actually a private school. I don't understand how they got that. Right, that old tricky switcheroo. so wrong. Yeah. 
But um, there was nothing at school to suggest that you could actually, you know, do anything that wasn't one of the traditional jobs you might be able to get on the game of life or whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, like, left school and just kept mostly just wanting to be funny. And then it wasn't until I did a Bachelor of Arts at University in Wellington. And then it wasn't until after that when I had a lot of friends who had also gone to university started getting their jobs. And I'd been, in, like, working in hospitality and promotions and, like, a few media odds and ends, but just scraping together uh, a life which meant that I felt like I had a lot of control over my working hours. Uh, yeah. I always wanted to be free, to be able to drop everything to go and, like, you know, play backyard cricket or just, like, you know, this prolonged adolescence kind of. Yes. And then everyone started getting jobs, and I was looking around, and I was thinking, I'm in trouble here. I've got no aspirations. I've got no idea how I'm actually going to apply myself in life. And um, so I, I thought about it in terms of what am, what, what am I – what am I the what do I like doing the best mm-hmm. and what am I the best at doing? And wherever those two, you know, met on a graph, I thought I'll work towards that as a goal. Yeah, you booted up your Excel, started yeah. plunking in the data. What's it called what's it called when two things is it the market? It's a Venn diagram. A Venn diagram. yeah, or a Venn diagram. And the middle was of the Venn diagram was being funny. And it was a yeah. big middle. Yeah, nice. I thought, well, I, you know, I was always too shy to try comedy really in New Zealand because I, I couldn't like I, so much of my self identity at that point was that I was funny. Yeah, you couldn't uh, fail. You couldn't. I couldn't like crush you know, that. I, yeah, I, I couldn't uh, stomach the humiliation of trying to be funny publicly. The one yeah. time that you're expressly meant to be funny mm-hmm. and not being funny. Yeah, when it's um, not that when it's you're not on stage, you can or can be funny and or not be funny, and it's fine. But on stage, well, <laughs> you're like yeah, yeah, and it's also like it's sort of um, it's quite New Zealand, I think. It's like the the biggest put down in New Zealand is to call someone a tryhard, which is yeah, sort of encapsulates our self defeating nature as a people. It's like oh, I you know, it's humiliating to find something you care about and apply yourself to that thing because you you risk humiliation. And so it's like everyone just sputters through life quite self-satisfied in their mediocrity because they've not actually chanced anything. Yeah. Um, And so, and that sort of still impacted me. And so I was like, well, I want to try comedy. I don't know where to try comedy. Um, I I sort of watched a bit of, I I knew I liked stand-up, but I wasn't like devoted to it. I just Mm -hmm. liked comedy watching comedy films and TV or whatever. But yeah, anything funny, not just specifically stand-up. Yeah. One person in a microphone. Like, I was like, okay, stand-up's the route I'm going to go here. I don't know where they do stand-up, apart from, like, America. And there's like, oh, there's a big comedy festival in um in Montreal. The biggest. And I, yeah, and I know one person in Montreal. <laughs> okay. That's where I got to go. That's it. Yeah. And so I, um, I saved. I put, to, I put, I put together all the money I had. It's very easy to get a, a visa um, between you know cu- countries in the Commonwealth. Right. So I got a one-year visa, and I moved to Montreal in the summer before Just for Laughs. And I watched a lot of shows, and I lived on my friend's couch, and I got a job as a busser working at a sushi restaurant. Okay. And. Um, I, I went to some shows and I tried to start doing comedy at the open mics in Montreal, but I found it quite hard because there weren't as many as I imagined. And a lot of the scene was in French. Mm. And uh, I, I sort of, I, I, I started doing a few gigs. I was having a really good time, but I wasn't making a huge amount of headway. Right. Uh, and then I had a friend who was um, a friend who was going to visit. They were going to visit one of their friends in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, do you want to come check out Toronto? And I thought, absolutely. I've never been to Toronto before. And so I sort of emailed, I, 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 you know, started making friends with comedians on Facebook and some people in Montreal told me who to contact or like, you know, put me in touch. I don't actually know exactly how I put the pieces together, but I pretty much um, went and lined up a gig a night for a week in Toronto, including the most memorable was like Stephen pa- Steve Patrick Adams and Jordan Foisy, the aforementioned, yes. put on a show. And I somehow, you know, weaseled my way onto that. And I remember, like, I was so green. And I saw those guys and I thought, and the whole tone of that show, and I was like, this is really cool. And getting up on stage every night, it was incredibly addictive and Moorish. And I realized when I was in Toronto that 
um, that's where I needed to be. Yeah, definitely more shows, so, <laughs> and they're speaking English. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I I I um, packed up from Montreal, and I, I caught a bus back to Toronto. Yeah. And I got it the first day, the first place I went into to ask for a job was a cafe. And the guy said, um, he said, I just, we had a New Zealander working here, he left last week. He's the best employee I've ever had. You're hired. <laughs> and I thought, holy Uh-oh. shit, that's pretty lucky. Yeah. Uh, and then, so, and then, yeah, and that's, I think this is like 2012, summer. Yeah, 2012. 2012. And um, that's when I, like, that's sort of to my eyes when I really started fucking hoeing into some. Holy shit. So I saw the birth of mm. the Guy Montgomery, the comedian, back in those days. Really, I'm, I think really I was did. at that Foise and Steve Patrick Adams show. Um, two of my favorites, uh, Steve Patrick Adams, has now moved from Toronto to Montreal in an interesting... I see that. I've performed with him in Montreal you know, since, since many years later, yeah. since all this occurred. Yeah, he's so good. Uh, but yeah, I, um, I, Toronto was where I really got started. And like, I also, I didn't know any, like I knew that one guy in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still friends with to this day, uh, but in Toronto, I didn't know anyone. And so like the only means I had of socializing was I would go to like, I got very obsessed with numbers. I'd set myself, I'd say I'd do a minimum of 10 gigs a week. Yeah. So I'd go and I did like every, you know, dive, every fucking open mic <laughs> out the back of a taco restaurant. Yeah. Um, and that's how I met a lot of other, you know, like a lot of other comics who were coming up then, you know, like it's, um, it was also my first time sort of, uh, traveling by myself. And so it was an incredibly like romantic and, um, just alluring time where it was like, you know, I was, I was making friends, I was falling in love with comedy and like, uh, all the other people I knew, all the people I was meeting and becoming friends with were also falling in love with comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like you, you, there are people who you'd share a comic sensibility with, or you'd be drawn to, and then you'd become friends with them. And uh, yeah, like I, I, uh, I, I was there for the rest of my visa, and then I had a job opportunity in New Zealand that I left for. But like that was, um, I, I still sort of, I feel a huge connection and affinity to um, Toronto's comedy stand-up comedy scene, and. Uh, like I still love performing there. I've come back a few times since I kept going. I, I came back. I moved to uh, since I've come back to New Zealand. I've, again, I left for New York and then I've again moved back to New Zealand. But when I was in New York, I came up and um, like did a did a, a bunch of shows and then got to do JFL forty two one year. And like the yeah. year I was there, the year JFL forty two started in uh yeah in Toronto. And yeah, like, I think we met up um briefly during that. Yeah, came and said um, hi. <laughs> Yeah. And like, it was just, uh, you know, like I, I still think it's such a, it's like, it's such an incredible comedy city and the comedians there are so good. Like the standard comedy is so good. Um, but there's like, you know, you, it's not dissimilar to New Zealand. I think when you reach a ceiling, you can reach a ceiling of what is available to you there quite quickly. Yeah. And that is a frustrating experience. Mm-hmm. Well, same thing happens like just on a different scale here in Toronto, where you're like, you can make it to the top of Toronto and be the, one of the best in Toronto, but that ceiling is pretty low. Right? Like at some point, you're gonna have to go to New York or LA and uh, try your hand at that if you want, or just keep it low key and stay here and get a job like writing for some TV show or whatever on yeah, BBC yeah. Gem. You know, like you can do that too. There's those are the basically the options, right? There but the but the ceiling is there. It's like you can only do so much once you make it to the top of like the Toronto scene. It's not you know, it's not quite the top of the LA scene, right? Like No, but I mean not in terms of uh like I don't know what the metrics for success are. But well, it's like yeah, being like able not, to earn a comfortable living, yeah, right? I think it's, it's, it is, it's, it's fun. And in terms of like quality, the thing, especially in America, I find it so crazy. Like the best comedians in America are, are generally the best, some of the very, very best in the world, like the top 1% in the world. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, like, obviously a, a, some very solid, um, like professional comedians beneath them. Mm-hmm. But then, like, you get down to, say, below the top 10%. There's just, like, because there's so many people doing it. The number of people who are doing it who are abysmal is sensational. Yeah. 
there are so many bad comedians. Like, I would say, in terms of percentages, the quality of comedy in Toronto was, like, way higher. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, the, the best comedians in Toronto, I, I guess there's, there's a, a certain element of home field, but, you know, I feel like they'd be as they'd be the best, you know, like the best comedians in any given city, generally speaking, would be close to the best to any other city they went to visit. Yeah, definitely those, like, if, if they went to, uh, I'm sure, any other, like, Canadian city, they'd probably be right up there. And then probably a lot of, like, the middle America cities, middling America. Yeah. But it's, yeah. like, New York, though, it's, like, I've seen a couple of top Toronto people go to New York and try and just get, like, ground down <laughs> by yeah. the New York scene. Like, that's, it's too hard to make that leap sometimes. Like, and other people try to do the L.A. way, and it's different because getting around in L.A. is different and the shows are different. So it's, like... Yeah. Yeah, uh, like, pick LA, your poison. You don't you don't move to LA to to make it in stand up. Yeah, really. true. Like it's a it's a. Um, you go to New York first. So, yeah, but I mean, I agree. I went to New York and I was like, I sort of told myself that I'd already done this in Toronto and I'd started from nothing and like ground out these open mics and made friends and you know I didn't achieve anything when I was there, but I started getting to do some fun gigs and like felt like I had momentum and traction. Mm-hmm. But uh, in New York, it was just totally different. Like I was, I'd already achieved success in New Zealand and and a little in Australia, and sort of like had developed some form, some minor form of ego or self confidence, which meant that I I could no longer stomach or withstand the volume of like the, yeah, you can't go back of, to the just, very bottom rung. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the open minded, open mic nature of grinding out open mics. Yeah. That's that's a lot. Like you ha- you can do that, but you can't do it and then start again at the bottom. Like it's so hard after you've already done the grind to go back yeah. and be like the first or the second rung. Even if you have like a leg up and you're on the second rung where you get booked on some shows, you still have to do those open mics like once or twice a week yeah. to like stay tight and to keep getting up there, right? Like you can't Absolutely. you can't not do it. Otherwise, the muscle atrophies or whatever. You lose your yeah yeah lose a bit of your zip. <laughs> you got to work it back. So, yeah, man, you got, yeah, and you know, you got to keep that zip. You got to keep the zip, man. So, that's pretty good that you have. Uh, I, I see you, you're down there in New Zealand. You're killing it now. You're, uh, you're a known entity. You're a media personality. Your IMDb is popping. I should do a Mark Man <laughs> scroll of your IMDb. Look at all this stuff. There's so much stuff now. Holy cow. Writer, producer, self. All of yeah, look yeah. at all these things. I love one of my favorite roles I play on uh, on shows is self. Self, look at that. Self, dream team member. Self, self, panelist. Self, host. Self. Yeah, yeah. Self, host. I love, yeah, I love I love playing self um, with you know as panelist. You played panelists. self on a TV series. No experience yeah, necessary. Yeah. How about that? I did. That was that was cool. That was uh, and I, a show idea which I still think is so brilliant. Um, from a friend of mine, an Australian comedian who's in London now called Ray Badrin, who's like one of the most, he's a brilliant stand-up, but off stage as well, he's just one of the most naturally funny people I know. He is um, an exhausting conversational partner because he just, like, he, he is unrelenting in his desire to make jokes. Love it. Um, and it was a, a show idea built around the idea that he was coming to uh he was coming to New Zealand to make a sitcom because he thought it was a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he spent, but he didn't think, it's sort of a slightly high concept, but basically he was coming to New Zealand to make a sitcom because he thought it was cheaper, but he didn't think that they had uh, camera equipment or anything in New Zealand. So he flew over all this camera equipment and like pretty much spent all of the money he had for the show relocating <laughs> to New Zealand. And so then had to cast the show through... Uh, trade me, which is like Craigslist. Right, right. And yeah, uh, casting and crew. So, like, <laughs> so he cast, he was going to star in this family sitcom and the only person he knew in, he knew in New Zealand was me. Uh, and he had to wind up casting the sitcom through Craigslist. Nice. Uh, casting all these people to play his family. And so it was this like hybrid show where um, our scenes and like, you know, some of the stuff around the actual sitcom and the casting were contrived, but the casting process and the actual sitcom at the end was all real like we use real people and real oh wow that's that's a really cool idea like half half pseudo reality or like you know like a nathan fielder reality and then half scripted comedy wow that's really neat yeah it was so cool yeah Um, 
doing a lot of stuff self you even yeah, did your yeah. comedy central stand-up oh uh, yeah I, I did so when I, before i left i left uh new york i i don't know between living in between after, after moving to new york i somehow uh fell in love with a woman who is my you know still my partner who i live with now in new zealand Ooh. she was in new zealand. i and so before, for un, no pandemic reasons, I left New York in um, December 2019. Oh, wow, good and timing. In that very month, I got to do a, a Comedy Central art mix taping in Austin, Texas, which was like such a, you know, like yeah. I was so overwhelmed with gratitude and grateful for the opportunity and uh, did it and was so satisfied to get some sort of, you know, American credit. And I had this grand imagining of being able to go back to America, like, you know. Yeah, you get a new credit, you get a new half hour every you, year or whatever, right? Well, no, no, no <laughs> a new half hour, but like, I don't know. I, I guess I imagined I'd be able to leave, um, well, broadly speaking, New Zealand, but more right. specifically, given current circumstances, my house. <laughs> yes. But uh, as, as it stands, no. No. So, global uh, elephant in the room, the current global uh, COVID-19 pandemic, if you're listening in the far future, we're still in the middle of it. And in New Zealand, you hadn't really had to deal with it too too much. You did really good uh, at the beginning, and then what now? There's a bit, a little bit of a backtrack and a hard hard lockdown? Uh, that's right, yeah. So, we, we went gangbusters, um, but we sort of, like, put up the, you know, we made ourselves a little fortress. Yeah, and that's... Then- yeah. Everyone, both outside and inside the country, were like, "Well, this is good short term, but we 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 can't just be can't be isolated in. forever." Yeah. And so they said, "Okay, well, we'll let some people from Australia, in and we'll see how that goes." <laughs> and then one bloody turkey from Australia came along, and it turns out they were holidaying alongside the Delta variant, and oh, then they released me. not unlike you know you might release a pest, they released a Delta variant into the community, yeah. and our government said we won't be having that. And after one community case, they sent the entire country back into their houses. Uh, and naturally, because I live in Auckland, New Zealand, the most populous mm-hmm. uh, of the cities, this is where the main concentra- concentration of the um, community uh, outbreak is. Yeah. And so I think it's like we're approaching the 50th day in our house. And the New Zealand lockdown is the most stringent of all yeah. the lockdowns. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you guys, yeah, because you were stringent at the beginning and it worked. And now you're like, okay, we lo- we loosened up for a moment, and now we're in trouble. So now we have to crack down twice as hard as we did at it's, the beginning. Honestly, it's um, it's tearing like it's there's uh, we were so self satisfied and really into like patting ourselves on the back. True, yeah. You know, like we 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 derive mission accomplished banner on the <laughs> yeah yeah we derive individual achievement. But if we, you know, work together to achieve something as a collective, namely staying in our house for COVID nineteen to get stamped out, yeah, um, we we love to pat each other on the back and say we did it. That's and good. Yeah, Are you guys doing but, the um, um, banging pots and pans? No, no, we didn't. We <laughs> do you guys see no, that though? <laughs> we didn't make a big show of um, <laughs> celebrating our public servants. Uh, we sort of like to think that our actions of actually staying at home. Yes, Which that is, is much better. Out. Public servants yeah. and those first front front first responders uh, and the frontline workers are like, yeah, yeah, banging pots and pans is fine, but maybe like get a vaccine, maybe like stay yeah, at, stay yeah. at your house or whatever, you know. Don't yeah, have so that party. I wonder, I wonder how many people who um banged on all those pots <laughs> and pans now refuse to get the vaccine. Yeah, guaranteed like, some know, some bangers. What the um. I don't know. I'd love to see the connective tissue between their thinking of celebrating the NHS or, or whatever the you know the national health services in Canada, and then sort of defying and infuriating the very same people by wanting to research the ingredients of a vaccine. Uh, it's a little bit nutty. So, do you have many um, of those anti-vaxxer, anti-masker uh, people? We're kind of lucky in New Zealand that we are small enough that like disinformation can't quite reach a critical mass of right. people to, yeah. to spread uh, in a meaningful way. But certainly, like this is the longest lockdown we've been in in Auckland, right, and yeah. the um. You can see the edges are starting to fray just a little bit. And there's like, you know, we've got uh, some uh, right-wing pastors who are all about people's liberties who organized a sort of few thousand people protest in a um, 
big park over the weekend, which yeah. was uh, it's tough to know. see. It's it's it's, ha- it's it happening good. here too, and it's it's just like yeah. uh, you know because we're obviously on the other side of it. We can kind of see maybe the bigger picture <laughs> or whatever. Um, and some people are maybe a little bit uh, well sheepy uh, following certain disinformation or misinformation that has been put in front of them. So it's it's hard it's hard to say you know. But uh, yeah, pe- people should get vaccinated. You should be wearing your masks. You want to go and say that? Hell yeah. I'm fucking, I'm double vexed and Woo! I mask up to the nines. Baby. Hell yeah. Mask I don't show up. any um, any skin. I've gone full brethren. Oh, wow. I'm just teasing. I, 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 I walk nude, save for a mask. <laughs> so, yeah, so you, this is your guys' first, um, like, taste of lockdown. So we up over here have already, like, been through it, right? Like, we were already locked down for months. We came out of it, and now we're just sort of, like, dealing with the repercussions of that. Um, so now you guys are in your lockdown are is your edges fraying or are you going to be okay uh i'll be okay yeah i i think i mean ultimately it's it's impossible to forecast and i've actually because you know what i am capable of doing to help is as small as staying at home for as long as i'm told Mm -hmm. and not being a defiant um sort of guy yeah and i'm lucky enough to be in a position where that isn't you know an issue for me mm-hmm. um i have sort of I, i've tried not to form too many opinions or engage in dialogue with people who have heavy-handed opinions because i feel like it, that is that's the root cause for a lot of anxiety and frustration is like assuming you know better or know anything more or like speculating about what the outcomes might be yeah yeah um, that's true so I mean I, I I hope we'll I hope we'll be okay. I think right now the strategy is get get the vaccination rate up high enough that we can you know achieve a version of herd immunity. Yeah, reopen we, a little bit with some caveats. Exactly, Just get a little exactly. bit of get a little bit of normalcy uh, back for you guys. But like I mean. It's just ridiculous the number of people who have decided to to have very confident and outspoken opinions about all of this. Like, not virtually, you know, apart from I'd say less than one percent of the population have ever even anticipated or bothered to think about this circumstance. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't stop you know grossly unqualified people such as myself having very hard line opinions and takes. Yeah. That. You know, if no one listens or people disagree with, they take as an attack on their freedoms, which is, um, it's just absurd to me. Like, I, I don't really know what the outcome of this will be. And, you know, I think it's reasonable to, to have skip, you, everyone's going to have a healthy amount of skepticism about nearly any government. But um, I, I don't know. I just, what I really want to do is just get everyone to get a fucking needle in their arm so I can go and meet a friend for a beer. <laughs> that is right, guy. We just want people to just get the stupid needle and just don't worry about what's in it. They've been working on it for a decade. They didn't just come up with it. Like That's what people are like, oh, how did they just come up with this? in three months we're like no well like the science had been working on this because they knew something like this was gonna come and they had to be ready and guess what it did and guess what they were (laughs) so this is this damn delta variant we'll just tweak the little thing we'll get a booster everything will be fine you just gotta be looking on the bright side i mean yeah like all i want to do is uh have a beer with my friends and do some stand-up comedy true yeah your industry has been hit the among the hardest uh, industries the uh, the entertain the live entertainment industry so um that that it's it's so tough we don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna bounce back how is it's gonna play out like we currently in toronto right now uh, shows are back on <laughs> uh socially distanced uh in quotation marks i don't know I how socially distanced you can be in like a little room you know like i like they put yeah, the tables but, six feet apart, and then you, but you take your mask down when you're drinking, up, yeah. and then you're stand, laughing. <laughs> indoor stand-up comedy is a very challenging place to like. A, a pandemic is like COVID nineteen. The Delta variant specifically is very well positioned to wreak havoc on the comedy shows, yeah. that industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched. I remember like uh, it, I joined when I was. I mean, this is just a byproduct of doing comedy, but I joined, it was a Facebook group 
when I was living in Toronto years ago called the Toronto Stand Up Community or whatever the hell yeah. it's called, you know. Epic Facebook always, group, legendary Facebook group. Yeah, it was always a great place to follow uh, dramas between open micers I've never heard of. And, you know, like even as the yeah. years between my living in Toronto. You can still keep uh, up group, with some drama. I would still occasionally dip in just to see people attacking each other because <laughs> yeah. I thought it was kind of it's kind of funny. It's and like, it's, funny. I, I know it's an unhealthy instinct, but it's also simply irresistible. And yeah. then last year I remember watching a guy um, who was like, he was super anti-lockdown and he was putting on, this is in Toronto, he was putting on a lot of um, comedy shows in the park. Yeah. And he, he sort of like became this self-modeled free free speech or, you know, freedom of rights guy. And I remember seeing that and being like, this fucking guy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't, want to, I don't want to dignify him by naming him. No, yeah. It's good guy. to keep up with TSUC on Facebook. Uh, you definitely try to get in there. <laughs> you have to get approved. But once you get in, oh, it's yeah, juicy. Yeah, once you're in, they, can't, they don't keep <laughs> They don't know. There's too many people to keep track. Um, actually, I don't know if that uh, page is still going on. Um, I don't know if it got shut down or not. All right. Well, um, so quick story. My parents traveled to your lovely nation uh, uh, in, uh, I think, around 1990. I was just a wee lad. I think I was eight or so. I would have been two. You would have been two? Oh, that's cool. And I'm pretty sure they went to Christchurch. So you would have been there. You would have been around. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it, my mom and dad went, and it was my dad went with like a, a local hockey team, and they went and they played a New Zealand hockey team on this like epic long game like they were trying to do a world record attempt for a longest game or something i don't know longest don't... game of field hockey oh uh, regular ice hockey oh ice hockey okay yeah, yeah regular my... hockey no and you yeah, see what regular. we call field hockey regular hockey right and um when it's ice hockey that's when you, you have to say you ice put an adjective in front of the noun <laughs> yeah that is the unusual one for us right yeah so so I have a little bit of a connection. I didn't get to go, but I have a bunch of like souvenirs <laughs> that they brought back. So I have Hell like yeah, all these like connections, all these like little things around my uh, house. I have like these little kiwis, like these little figurines of kiwis dressed up as different things. Like uh, one's like a little referee, a little boxing. One guy. of the one of the things about our native bird is that it likes nothing more than dressing up <laughs> as various different livelihoods and role playing. Yeah. That's right. That is what it's there for. Um, and what else do I got? I, I've just found that cool All Blacks hat. I think I sent you a picture of that. Cool, oh, like, yeah. old foam snapback All Blacks hat. Um, remember my dad got a ton of All Black stuff. He was super into uh, All Blacks gear. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was just really cool. And then I found a bunch of old postcards, cards, I guess, that they had sent out. So it's like you tear the postcard off, but you keep, like, the receipt that shows, like, yeah. what the postcard looked like and who you sent it to. Um, yeah, really neat, uh, cool stuff. And all these, and these coasters, um, that showed like the, what was the big thing? The sky tram. There's like a big, you go up in sky a big tower? sky tower. Yeah. You take, what's the thing where you take like a, a gondola? Uh, is, oh. it, is that a thing? Oh, the, the luge. There's like in, uh, Queenstown. And oh yeah. In might have been. Rotorua, there's like a gondola you catch up and then at the top of it, there's like a luge. Okay. You've got the luge, you know what a luge is? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Go down. Yeah, very cool. So, um, I always had a, I always had a fondness for for the New Zealand, uh, for the country, and uh, I always like to see New Zealand people out and about doing yeah. their thing on the I world stage. A kinship with um, Canada from New Zealand, I think, because I always imagined, and it turns out accurately, in my opinion, that uh, the dynamic between Australia and New Zealand and Canada and America would be similar. Oh, okay. Yeah, like the little neighbor. Yeah, the little the little uh sort of less confident um more polite perhaps. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh and yeah, I, I, I feel as someone who's spent time in all four of the places in question, I yeah. feel like there's a there's a certain accuracy to that. Like a similarity, yeah, between the, the relationships. So your relationship with Australia is good now that you're a you're a big Australian I love, comedy I love star now? Yeah. I um I would love to go back. I mean I don't know, man. It's been a fucking I, I used to like I was lucky in that I um there's a sort of in New Zealand and Australia, there's a, a festival circuit that you can work uh, between the two nations where it's like you can build an hour every year and uh, every other year if you want. And yeah. like, you know, you can spend a few months performing it. And if it goes well, uh, then you can, you know, you can set it up so that it's like an annual, you can 
an yeah. annual part of the year. Yeah, yeah, get booked and you have a recurring schedule yeah. where you're like, and these I, months I, I'm working. And like, you know, you wind up making so many great friends over there and uh, yeah. I really love the scene and like Australian comics are so funny. Like, oh, fuck, man. Australians actually, Australians are really funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I haven't been, you know, like I, I, I can't, you can't, I can't go anywhere. You can't go. You're, you, can't, you can't even you, leave you your house. You can't leave New Zealand at the moment because we have a broken, uh, like MIQ system, managed isolation quarantine system, which means that oh. New Zealanders, like even New Zealanders who are abroad who are living anywhere else, is, uh, they have to enter a lottery to secure a spot to spend two weeks quarantining in a hotel before they're allowed to rejoin the community. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah, you guys are cool. you guys are taking it pretty. You guys are taking it seriously, and you know what? So, I like to see that guy. I well, like to we, see it. We, we are protecting our, our most vulnerable. That's right. Um, we do love to do that, but we're taking it so serious. Taking it super seriously, but you know, better to do the harsh lockdown at the beginning and reap the benefits and dealing with like the overloaded ICUs right. like Alberta. That's right. And we did do that, and we loved it. We had such a good time. Um, yeah, you guys were killing our, it. Our liberties and sort of advertising them on social media to I, yeah. the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> but I tell you what, now, Stephen, what we're experiencing is um, the boot being on uh, the other foot. Right. Some sort of and comeuppance. Yes. And the boot doesn't look nearly so good when it's on the other foot. <laughs> no. And now right. all these people in, in America and, and over here are, are going out for beers with their friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what what we really want is the boot to, well, we want everyone to be wearing boots, I suppose. But it was incredibly preferable when the boot was on, on our foot. Yeah. Well, you know. Feels way better. It does. It's a snug fit. Precisely. All right, guy. Well, um, we're starting to wind her down, but I still got a few more things that I want to talk hey, to you about. I wish you would. I'd love to know what memories you have of us meeting in Toronto and uh, yeah. I bombed the gig you saw. I Yeah, I don't remember you bombing. I think I were more um, clued into you uh, that you were funny in conversation. Like you were, you know, you were cool uh, hanging out with the guys or whatever, Foise and whoever else was there, SPA. Um, and you were like, yeah, holding your own. So maybe you did it to crush it, uh, in the cabaret space, but you crushed it in the social situation. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's yes. a good guy. I need to immediately follow him on Twitter. Hopefully he follows me back kind of thing. Like make a good friend connection because yeah, he's, he's from New Zealand. So he's going to eventually go back to New Zealand. And if he, if I don't yeah. make free Facebook friends with him now, he's going to be gone forever. Maybe, maybe he doesn't start a world famous podcast and end up coming back. Well, you, um, because you, I, I don't remember, you know, like, I guess we followed one another. This And this was early days of probably not uh, universally speaking Twitter, but like. No, it was like, yeah, 2012 Twitter days. And Twitter being a defining feature of like, you know, comedy. It was, it was fairly early. And uh, I don't remember following you, but through the year, decade almost, you are responsible for, uh, you, you yourself published some very funny tweets and you're like very, you're, you obviously, um, you dissect words and you sort of find double meanings and you're very good with wordplay. Correct. But you also are this like unrelenting treasure trove of very, very funny retweets, which are like, some of them are, are historic. Some of them are like, it's a hilarious tweet I've never seen before from like 2009. Yeah, I got the, um, I got the memory for the, the good tweets. And I'll yeah. pop them back how in the you, feed every once in a while. Uh, usually it's like a, someone who I know and it's like one of their classic tweets and it'll be, yeah. I'll just like think about it or I'll be thinking about them, talking to them or something. I'll be like, oh, this, this tweet needs to come back up, come back around again. And maybe somebody missed it the first time or something like that. And that's been the benefit of like becoming friends with a bunch of very funny people on Twitter and uh, in real life, because then you have this treasure trove of tweets coming up. Plus all the super hilarious ones that they've done before that you could retweet a million times and it's still funny like every single time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. And whenever I see a guy Mont retweet of a retweet, I'm like, yeah, I did it. I yeah, got, man. I got to guy. Cause I know that when you retweet it, it's like, he must've really liked it. It's like, you're a pro pretty big Twitter account <laughs> guy. You know, it's good <laughs> managing your brand. Is this such a thing? I think Twitter is so fucking stupid. Yeah. I Twitter sucks to, and it's on the way out, I, but 
I try to have the most boring Twitter account. I try to tweet the most like, um, you know, like worthless, uh, disposable, unhelpful observations or comments. Um, yeah, but that's your that's your like brand. Trying, that's your Twitter brand. Yeah. So if you get it, you I'm get just, it. I think it's funny when you do that. Yeah, yeah. I just try to distill it to the least interesting account. Yeah, well, it's um, but then I I counterbalance that by retweeting stuff I find very funny. Yeah, that works. All right. Um. So I guess you did uh have a podcast. You are a podcaster yourself. You've done many episodes of podcasts. You had a podcast. Yeah, man. This is not my first time in conversation. Oh my! <laughs> now your first time speaking into a sure microphone. Yeah. Um, so how did that? Uh, I get it was it was long after you left Toronto, made it back to New Zealand, and you had to think of the worst idea of all time, and then you just yeah. came up with it. It was not so long after I left Toronto. It was like 2014. I came back to New Zealand and I had this show hosting like a public access, not public access, public broadcaster. Do you have like, we have TVNZ, which is like our, it's like our BBC. Do you yeah, have, we have CBC. CBC, yeah. So they had, a, they had a youth, a digital youth channel that they'd launched. And I came back to host a late night, sort of a nightly uh, every weeknight talk show on it for an hour, but it was severely underfunded. It was just me and one friend. <laughs> That's cool. For creating and filling an hour of content every night. Love it. Um, and it was, you know, like such incredible on the job training. And uh, we've filled the segments with friends who are comics, you know, funny people. And one of them was Tim Bat, who came on to review public toilets. It was a segment <laughs> called the Lou Review. He wore a suit. He brought a briefcase. He prepared slideshows. He'd done the most amount of work um, ever and yeah. probably at the funniest angle. And my response to that was I thought it would be very funny if I derided him and sort of said that I don't respect what he's doing and he's sullying, you know, the broadcast. <laughs> uh, and we sort of set up this comic dynamic. Yeah. And it was my favorite part of doing this late night show was this part with Tim. And um, after six months of doing the show, the – the CEO of TVNZ changed and the entire funding for not just our show, but for the entire channel, which was a subset of TVNZ called TVNZ U, the letter U got cut. Oh no. Uh, and so we were out on our ass and Tim had a history in radio production. He produced a drive time radio show on a commercial, you know, on the airwaves. And uh, we'd realized we had some sort of chemistry. And so we thought, well, you know, we want to keep doing something together. We don't know what, what's got the lowest barrier to entry. Which was podcasting, yeah. Uh, and we we came up with you know reviewing this uh, a movie, an open ended movie review podcast where the movie doesn't change, um, the worst city of all time. We we're going to do grown ups, but then we thought it'd be funnier to do a sequel. Like you know, what's funnier than a movie that shouldn't have been made necessarily as, a, as the sequel to that same movie? Just genius and, idea, I must say. Yeah. And then we did it, and. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, we never would have anticipated it achieving any sort of success. Like initially, and this is a great instance of committing to the bit. We're just like, well, we'll just keep going because it's funny. Yeah. And like, you know, if we make however many episodes of this and no one ever listens, that'll be funny. And also it will be funny if like it ever does get discovered because people would discover it after we're finished or like, you know, <laughs> yeah. we've got four, like, you know, you could discover this podcast where these people have reviewed the same movie 40 times and there's this backlog of 40 episodes. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of what happened is Paul Shear, one of Paul Shear's How Did This Get Made listeners put him onto it and he shouted us out on like an episode of that. And um, from there, I... Uh, he drove a lot of listeners and then word of mouth sort of spread. Yeah. And now you're, yeah, now you're the boys, you're friends with Patty Schwartz. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And then, well, you know, neither of us would have anticipated the stupidest thing we did becoming, um, what frustrating you're the most successful thing we do. <laughs> True. But that must've been great. So how many seasons did you, uh, end up doing of that? We did sort of, um, we're still going kind of, Sorry, I was just having a sip of my drink. Um, we did three initially. We did Grown Ups 2. Grown Ups 2, Sex in the City 2. Sex in the City 2. Then we did We Are Your Friends. And then we, we are your after friends, that, right? 
I actually can't remember the chronology, but basically we got we we were pitching an idea for, to make it a TV show around the states, and it got made into a pilot for YouTube Red, um, you know, popular streaming platform YouTube Red. That oh is yeah, going. incredibly popular uh, pay-to-stream platform YouTube Red. Yeah, yeah, it's like um, YouTube, but you pay. It's like Kibi Kibi, but on your computer. Yeah, <laughs> I and so we made that, and then I was um. We made that in New York, uh, and uh, we got these visas to that we could work and live there. And I stayed on, and Tim went home. And then after like six months of being apart, we realized we weren't really catching up, and we missed each other. And we're so broken, or our, our relationship, our friendship is so broken that we um, rekindled it by picking back up the podcast concept and watching Sex in the City one. Oh no! Did you? That's great. I gotta, I gotta pick that season up. Uh, and then after that, we've, we're just about to finish a year of watching all of these softcore porn films, uh, which, like, I think we've made several serious missteps in our career. <laughs> well, uh, but we, you know, as 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 mentioned at the start of the podcast, we are nothing if not committed. Like the sort of my byline for our podcast is that we've got more integrity than talent, and if we say we're watching something, we are watching it. Yes. And I think that is true. The committing to the bit, like no one else, like other people probably maybe want, would wanted to start something like that. And then they got to like most podcasts don't get past the third episode. There's like a stat, right? Like 90% of podcasts or more don't get past the third episode. Imagine if it was, you have to watch the same movie yeah. <laughs> before every episode. Imagine how many episodes it would have got to uh, with anyone else other than Tim and Guy. Uh, and I'm assuming it was three or less because that's nuts. But you did it. And now that you've done it, does it feel like, you know, like a notch on your belt? Like, obviously, you know, you know, hindsight, you're you're happy that you did it. But like in the throes of it, you, <laughs> you ever go back and listen to one that's like the 45th episode or whatever of a, a season uh, and where you're like you know, clawing your eyes out? <laughs> No, it's lived experience. I have that pain within me. Right, you don't, need actually, to, you don't need to relive it. Tim is the technical component of the podcast. I'm just a guy who shows up. I've never re-listened to any of it. Oh, good, yeah. That's already too much doing it once, I think. Yeah, I think that's, that's enough. Yeah, but it is a great um, podcast. Everyone, uh, if you haven't listened to it, there's many hours now. You can go, uh, you can binge years worth uh, of Guy's life uh, in a month. And I think that's what happened to me. I picked up the, uh, it was the We Are Your Friends when I dipped back in. Like I listened to the first seasons as they went and then I dipped out and then dipped back into We Are Your Friends and listened to like them all in a row. And uh, it was like my inner monologue had a New Zealand accent and was like you and Tim, Tim's voice. And was like, okay, I'm listening to this podcast too much. Then I had to cut it, (laughs) to cut it off. We get get a lot of that. Um, Yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's quite an enjoyable way to listen to it is to, is to binge just because like you're accelerate, like, and this podcast now spans, seven years Oof. so like it's outlasted relationships tim yeah. within the podcast you know like we've moved countries tim has um become he's become married and a father wow congratulations like, to tim he's it, gotten it, um, several knives yeah it's it's like it's an it's a very bizarre sort of time capsule for a very specific period of our lives which is um I don't know that I'll ever revisit it, but I do think it's interesting to just like publicly document and release that yeah, and just have it existing in the world that like, you know, as a file that will outlive virtually all of humanity. Yep. Yeah. Pretty neat. Your voice watching the movie (laughs) could be a talk about David Spade or whatever forever. Yeah, man. I want to be remembered for talking about David Spade. All right, buddy. Very cool. All right, well, guy, we've done it. We've cracked that magical hour mark, which I like to keep the podcast around. So uh, I don't have too many more notes. Thank you so much for taking the time on this Monday afternoon for you, Sunday night for me. 
Mm. Isn't that wild? It, it it did mess me up, but you're like, okay, Monday at one. I'm like, okay, so that's that's Monday night for me, right? <laughs> no, it's Sunday uh, night, yeah. you fool. It's this Sunday is, night. This is yeah, this is the arrogance of anyone who lives outside of an unusual time zone. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I love talking to the future. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> do not, do not, um, do not check your mail tomorrow morning. Oh shit! Thank yeah. you, thank you for the heads up. <laughs> the, the. Oh Marty, I can't know about the future. That, yeah, do you remember that sitcom early edition? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great, huh? That guy got the paper. It was such a great premise, such a simple premise. It works great every week. Like, it's it's great. It's like the middle of Groundhog Day. That's the part that everyone like likes. <laughs> you just want to watch the yeah. middle of Groundhog Day week to week. Absolutely. I uh, I don't know. I just and I I remember that. And he was always like he took it so serious. He always put on stop crises. Yeah. And his friend, who was a sports reporter, was just like, "Tell me the fucking score, man. I want to make <laughs> money, baby." That's funny. I didn't know about that. And it was the it's the Friday Night Lights guy, right? Like the coach. Yeah. Yeah. So that. Really sort of handsome, put-upon looking leading man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Classic stuff. All right, Guy. Well, thank you so much for joining me and being a friend of this show. Eventually, 10 years in the making since that fateful couch sit in Comedy Bar. And yeah, man. One that all the boys still talk about. We all talk it's about it. Yeah, me and the foys. Me and the foys. We talk about it all the time. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great meeting you then. It's great talking to you now. Congratulations on all your success. I loved you on Spontaneous Nation. Uh, you're, you're a sweetheart, Stephen. You're a, um, you appear to be across a wide array of comedy materials. And for that, I tip my hat, good sir. And Thanks I, for having me on the show. Thank you, and I tip my hat back to you, and good luck with the rest of your lockdown. And uh, as I do, I end the podcast with the theme as we say our goodbyes. So thanks, Guy. Have a great Monday afternoon and evening, and a great week, and a great year. Hey, you too. And all the best to you and your lovely relationship lady. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right, guy. Take it easy. Bye. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Guy. Follow him on Twitter at Guy underscore Mont. And check out the links in the show notes and search his name in your podcast app for a fun time. If you're a new listener, why, thank you. If you're a New Zealand listener, please let me know. I kiwiit to hear from you. If you like, you can check out all the old Friends of the Show episodes at www.stevenwskinner.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Potty Pitch. The 10,000th five-star review gets a coupon for Sizzler. If you like podcasts at Twitter accounts, check out at FOTSPod. That's the show's Twitter account. And you may find me at SkinnerSteven on Twitter. That's my Twitter account for twi- posting Twitters. Special thanks to Ruby Coast for the music and Kyle I. Davidson for the theme. And thank you so much for listening. I'm Stephen W. Skinner. Have a great one.